Good morning, church. Hey, the magic number is 53. 53 days till spring. Just let that soak in for a minute. That nice? 53 days. 53. Okay. I can make it. I can make it, I think. Welcome. Gosh, so good to see you. Glad you're here. Uh, this morning we're going to uh, look at a passage in 2 Corinthians. So if you have your Bible, you can uh, turn there, chapters 8 and 9. Also want to just uh, give you a little heads up on what we're going to begin next week. Next week we're going to begin a three-week series entitled, Now I See You. And the whole idea, the whole theme is based on the, uh, the opportunity for us to get a better perspective on the people in our world who are different than we are. So next week... We're going to talk about, now I see you, bridging the racial divide. Then the next week, bridging the generational divide between old and young. And finally, bridging the, the gender divide between men and women. And so by the, by the end of it, uh, by the end of next week's message, I hope next week's service, you will have a better perspective on people who are living ethnically different than you. And that could be helpful. Uh, I've invited some of my minority friends to come, to come to church next week, even though they may not t attend here regularly, because I'm curious to know what they th think about what I'm going to have to say. And so I, I hope it'll be meaningful and uh, challenging, helpful to you. Uh, today we are, are picking up this last message in the series we give, and we give today cheerfully. Let me give you some context. This is the Apostle Paul now writing to the church at Corinth. Corinth was a big church at this time. It was a, like a mega church. It was very affluent. It was dynamic. It was large. It was charismatic. Uh, it, was, it was percolating. And they also had a lot of excessiveness and mistakes being made in the life of this church, this big church. And the first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians, is more corrective. It's disciplinary, and it's pretty pointed. Uh, and Paul comes at them pretty, pretty harshly. And they feel the sting of it. Now this second letter, 2 Corinthians, is more uh, diplomatic. It's more pastoral. And Paul is encouraging and affirming the Corinthian church to higher acts of service and love. This particular reference is in chapters 8 and 9. We see Paul addressing the subject of stewardship. And he is in particular reference an offering that he's going to receive when he arrives in Corinth for the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is suffering a famine at this time, and so the church, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem at the time are suffering, and so Paul has been accumulating some money to send to the church in Jerusalem for their support. He also mentions in this context, not only when I get there I'm going to take up an offering for the church in Jerusalem, but you should know, he writes the Corinthians, that the church in Macedonia, which is a Greek church, a smaller church, actually a an oppressed church and, and a poor church, financially poor, they have already received an offering for the church in Jerusalem, and it was impressive. And you'll hear Paul's words in reference to that offering that the Macedonians have received on behalf of the Jerusalem church. So Paul is uh, talking about this offering that he's preparing when he comes to Corinth. And he also mentions, finally, that he's going to bring a couple of guys from the Macedonian church, this poor little, little poor church, He's going to bring a couple of those guys with him to Corinth and I, you know, for leverage. And, and he says, so these guys who are poor gave a lot. 
And so if your offering is pitiful, you might be unnecessarily embarrassed. So heads up. Heads up, I'm bringing some guys, some poor guys who've already given a lot uh, to Corinth with me. So that's the context of these words, and so uh, you'll understand what you're hearing. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I'll begin reading at verse 1. May I invite you to stand as you're able to hear God's word. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now over to chapter 9, verse 6. Remember, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. May God inspire us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. This is a, not a big, powerful sermon today. It, it won't leave you stunned. Uh, it's a simple little message, a simple teaching that is uh, a summary, really, of my perspective on this important subject of stewardship. You should know that I grew up in a church that did not emphasize or acknowledge or celebrate or value giving. This whole notion of stewardship was kind of lost on the folks in my church growing up. Nothing uh, so base or unseemly or lurid or worldly would ever be mentioned there, and of course, uh, neither anything so challenging or personal or provocative would be mentioned. As a result, I did not delight in giving myself. I, I rather grudgingly gave from time to time. I, I looked at giving from a purely carnal perspective. My parents, when I was a boy, six, seven, eight years old, they would give me a quarter before church every week, and that was to be my offering. So when the offering plate came by, I was to throw the quarter in. Now, I don't know about you, but this is back in the day, just you know, after the Civil War, and a quarter, <laughs> a quarter was a lot of money to me. I, I didn't see a quarter very often. So when my, my parents would put a quarter in my hand, that meant something to me. And, and I can remember the sensation when it was time for the offering, I would go, I have to give up my quarter. You know, I've only had it for half an hour. And the offering plate would come by, and, and I could feel my mother's eyes, you know, on me. You know, I put the quarter in there, and you know, I'm on the horns of dilemma. You know what I mean? I'm in a moral crisis. Because I, 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 I couldn't pilfer it. My mother was watching. So that was kind of my, my M.O. growing up in the church. I just didn't get it. it. It wasn't part of the culture of our church. For example, my church is giving to missions every year in the little church I grew up in was the loose change that, collect, that, that collected at the bottom of the offering plate. I can still remember my pastor announcing at the end of the year how much the church had, had contributed to missions that year. And it, it amounted to somewhere between $250 and $300. I can hear him say, and for missions this year, we've given $267.18. 
And even though I didn't understand giving, I didn't understand missions, and I didn't understand the whole thing as a boy, I knew in that moment there's something wrong. Something is not right about this. I, I, I had an instinct about that. Well, I first became aware of stewardship and the issues and the values that it brings to, to, to our lives in the context of my own salvation. I hope, hope you'll tolerate this personal reference. I, I realized the massive sacrifice God had made on my behalf through his son, Jesus Christ. And when I realized this enormous sacrifice that God had made for me, that it filled me with an overwhelming sense of gratitude. Aren't you grateful for what God has done for you? I mean, really, there, there's cause for thanksgiving and celebration and gratitude. And I felt that. Missions giving for me was excited and motivated, stimulated by the basic reality that the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, this glorious good news, which has liberated me from my sins and so many others that I know from their sin, this gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, that this gospel, uh, in order to be preached, takes resources to do it. And so I made the connection. I, I connected the dots. This gospel is glorious and must be preached to, to the whole world as a witness to all the nations. And if it takes money to do it, then well, let's get some money because we've got to do it. And that's my attitude about that. And so there's this sense of gratitude, this sense of mission. And I realized along the way as well, as I grew in my own sense of value with regard to stewardship and giving, that God's not just concerned about our money. He's concerned about our whole lives. He cares about every detail. He's, he, he's careful that way. I uh, remember an occasion when Beth and I were in grad school. Our plan was I would go to school, she would work. And we went, I started classes three days after our wedding. And she had a job in a local hospital, and she was going to work, I was going to go to school. And that was a great plan. It only lasted three weeks. We immediately got pregnant. I mean immediately. <laughs> and she suffered with morning sickness, and there were undiagnosed issues that she struggled with in early pregnancy. And she was so sick, she could not work. And so she lost her job. Three weeks in. So we had no money. We had no job. I was a full-time student. We were pitiful. She was, you know, just sick all the time. And there we were. And we just, we saw God take care of us. It was, it was just remarkable. There was one occasion when, when it was so obvious that God was in it that it, 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 it encouraged us and bolstered our faith. We, we had a moment where we had no money and we had, we had very little food. In fact, Beth was too sick to eat there for a while, and I went to the cupboard one day, and we had no money, and, and all that was left in the cupboard was a half a box of spaghetti and a can of pork and beans. And I was fending for myself at the time, and I just thought, well, you know, the colors are right. <laughs> so I cooked up the spaghetti, warmed up the beans. Listen to me, if you're a, like a student on a budget, or you're on a really tight, tight budget like that, don't ever eat those two things in combination. <laughs> As a person with experience, it won't end well for you. So don't. <clears throat> but I had a, a bill due at the, at, the, at the seminary, at the grad school, for $650. And I didn't have the money to pay it. And you know, if you're going to keep going to school, you've got to pay the bills. And, and there, there we were. 
And we were within just a few days of that deadline, and I needed $650, and nobody knew about that. And we went to the mailbox one day and got a letter from one of our relatives, and we opened it up, had a nice little note in it, and a check for $650. person had no knowledge of our need, no knowledge of the amount of our need, just wrote the check for $650. And that was, you know, that was just God's way of saying, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. God's, God, God's concerned about that. I was teaching a little Bible study one Sunday night in church. We had about 50 people in a little group, and there was a young couple who were attending Ball State University in the grad school there, and they had two small children, and they were just pitiful poor, living in Scheidler apartments, you know, just you know, scraping by getting through grad school. And I was teaching this Bible study, and I had just had this thought that kept coming into my head, someone has a financial need. And I, you know, it was just so persistent that I couldn't quite shake it. And so at the end of the Bible study, I just, I just gave expression to that. And I said, I just can't shake this thought. I don't, it's a random thought in my head. It won't go away tonight. But is there anyone here who has a financial need? And Roxanne Smarsh, the wife of Mike, this young couple, she immediately burst into tears and just sobbed and sobbed. And it's because the financial pressure had been building on, on their family. And here she had these babies to feed and her husband's trying to get through school and they don't have, and as it turned out, they didn't have, rent was due the next day at Scheidler Apartment and they had no money to pay their rent and she was afraid. And, she, and you could just feel the anxiety and she just emoted. And I, once they composed themselves, I said, what's going on? They told me the story. I said, well, let's just get some money together so they pay their rent. And you know, with about 50 people in the room, we raised $750 that night and gave it to them. And that was just God's way of saying to the Smarshes, Mike and Roxanne, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Two days before Easter, some years ago, the phone rang at my house. I picked up the phone, and it was a man's voice I had not seen or spoken to for about 20 years. It was my former pastor in the church that I grew up in. When I was an adolescent, a teenager in that church, the, the years that I actually came to a meaningful faith in Christ, it was, he was my pastor. And he was calling me, and he had just a, a, an anxious tone, a fearful tone in his voice. And he told me this story, you know, you know I'm retired now, and, and uh, I'm on a fixed income, and my wife had a major surgery again this year, and the medical bills have piled up. And, and he said, and, and April 15th is just next week, and, and he said, Greg, I, I don't have the money to pay my tax liability. And he said, I, I, I prayed about this and prayed about this, and he said, it just felt like to me that God told me to call you. <laughs> Have you ever gotten a call like that? God told me to tell you. <laughs> Listen, if you, if you have something that you think I need to do or I need to think, and you approach me and you say to me, God told me to tell you that this is what you ought to do, what you do is you go down 97 notches on my, on my list because the number of times people have said to me, God told me to tell, listen, if you want to tell me something, just, you know, hip, hip up your skirt and tell me. Don't blame God, you know, for your psychosis. <laughs> it's good this crowd is smaller today, so <laughs> don't burn so many bridges. <laughs> so here's my pastor. This is my pastor, and he's calling me up. Imagine how much, how much humility it would have taken for him, how much courage for him to call me 
and tell me this problem and kind of dump it on me. I said, well, what do you owe? And he said, well, my tax bill is $4,200. He said, I don't have it. I thought, well, I don't have it either, pal. I don't know why you're calling me. And I said, well, listen, you, you do know that it's Easter in two days. Let, I'll call you on Monday morning. Let me think about this and pray about this. I'll call you on Monday morning, and, and I'll see what I can do. And he said, oh, please. You know, and he was just so desperate. And he hung up the phone, and I was just I was angry that someone would do that to me like that. And I, you know, and I ventilated, I ranted and raved with Beth, you know, for several minutes. And, and this is so wrong, that's so presumptuous, I can't believe it. And she was sit, sit there just like she is right now with that little knowing smile on her face. <laughs> that little angelic smile. She didn't say a word, she just let me ventilate. And this went on for several hours. And then I finally started praying. I said, God, you know, you heard that conversation. I know you think that's presumptuous. So it's all nonsense. And, and I'm sure you have nothing to do with that. So I'll just dismiss this praying about this now. And God says, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, my pastor called me and told me that I should take care of his tax liability. And he said, well, yeah, I told him to call you. I said, I know that wasn't you, God. Uh, so get ye behind me, Satan. I know the voice of the devil when I hear it. That can't be right. God said, you know my voice. I said, are you expecting me to pay for his tax liability? I said, I don't have $4,200. He said, I know you don't. I said, but you're expecting me to take care of it? I'm personally responsible for paying that bill? And he said, yeah. I said, well, I don't have it. I just have to go borrow it, I guess. He said, well, you wouldn't have to do that. I said, well, how do you expect me to pay for it? He said, you don't have the money, but your people do. I said, no, absolutely not. That's where I'm drawing the line. If you expect me to go appeal to these generous, wonderful, loving, godly people to somehow take care of my problem and my friend's problem, I'm not going to do it. And besides that, it's Easter, for crying out loud. It's Easter Sunday. That's incredibly, incomprehensibly presumptuous for me to talk to people about that, such a thing. I would never do such a thing. God said, well, you can do whatever you want. I thought you were, in, you were interested in blessing your people. I said, I am interested in blessing them. He said, why would you want to rob them from such a great blessing? And so, you know, so I'm sorting it through. And I have to tell you, it was, it was very... So it's about 10 o'clock on Saturday night. This is before we had Saturday night church. It's 10 o'clock on Saturday night. And I, had, I just finally gave up. I said, okay, God, that's it. I give in. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'm Gumby. Bend me over backwards. I'm, I'm Gumby. I'll do whatever you say. And he said, well, get up tomorrow morning and ask your people to help. I, I said, it's Easter. He said, I don't know. It was awful. It was horrible. Of course, I went in Saturday night and I looked at Beth. I said, you know, God... God expects us to meet, the, meet Pastor Tedro's need, and, and we're, I'm supposed to ask the church to help tomorrow. She said, I know. She always knows before I do. It's annoying. <laughs> so 9 o'clock service, Sunday morning, it's Easter. Church is full of people, and it's full. And I take my hat off, you know, symbolically take my hat off, hold it in my hands, put my head down and say, I'm so sorry. Here's the qualifier before I make this appeal. I want to qualify it by saying, 
Don't do anything about it. Don't, you don't have to give. You don't have to feel obligated. This is my problem. It is not your problem. Please don't feel, please forgive me for being so presumptuous. Here it is, my problem and not yours. And it's Easter Sunday and I'm so embarrassed and please forgive me. Please don't give anything. If you, if you forget everything I say as quickly as possible, that will be the best thing you can do. Thank you. And then I said, I got a guy who called me. He's my former pastor and he's $4,200. And I, God help me, but I, I think it's right for me to tell you about that. But please don't. I fully expected the next day to go get a personal loan and send him the money. That's what I was going to do. And while I was making this announcement, one of our older parishioners, he's in heaven now, he's in his upper 80s, he had his hand up like this. And I'm apologizing, and he's going. <laughs> and, I, and I'm qualifying, and he's going. <laughs> and I, you know, I thought to myself, how much worse can it get? <laughs> yes, John, what, what, did you want to say something? And he, you know, he stood up, he just went like this, it's Easter. Everybody's eyes turned now to John, he stands, he's, he's old. Gets up about like this. And he said in a very strong voice, he said, Pastor? And he wasn't a wealthy man, fixed income, you know, he's just, just very modest. He said, Pastor, when you mentioned your friend's need, the Holy Spirit, spoke to me, and I'm going to give the first $500 to help meet his need. Unquote. Sat back down. <laughs> and folks looked at him, and they looked at me, and I said, you don't have to give a thing. Please. We took up the offering, went through the same routine at 1030. There's even more people in that service, you know. It's Easter. <sighs> It's horrible. Monday morning, I got on the phone, asked the office, how much was that special offering? Because I thought, well, it may be $500, so I got to go get a loan for the balance. Because I needed to know, because I was going to call my friend and tell him, we're going to send you the money. And they said, well, we don't know yet. I said, well, why not? It's 10 o'clock in the morning. They said, well, it takes a lot of time. I said, well, what takes so much time? They said, well, that's a big pile of money. What? Well, call me when you get the balance. So 45 minutes later, they called. They said, the offering, the offering so far is about $11,500. <laughs> I said, what? What is happening? I called my friend. He was really happy. He was relieved. <laughs> he was blessed. My pastor's in heaven now. He was crying. It was so, so moving. You know, that was God saying to my friend, I said, I got you. Gotcha. And he actually did hear God tell him to call me. Hmm. People who weren't in church, they were visiting other churches, they were with their family out of town. They came to me for weeks after that saying, can I still contribute to that offering for your friend? I said, yeah, why would you want to miss out on the blessing everybody else is getting blessed by? <laughs> Everybody's a winner except me. <laughs> I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the dummy everybody <laughs> takes it out on. It was great. We ended up sending him over $14,000 before it was over. We just kept sending him money. Every week there was money that <laughs> came in for him. This was God's way of saying, look, I got you. I, I care about you. I'm concerned about your whole life. 
See, it's exciting for me. It's thrilling for me. It's fun for me. It's joyful for me. It's, it's cheerful for me to realize that when we line up our lives with the values that God has established for us in the area of stewardship, with biblical principles, that the supernatural, when we do that, the supernatural provision of God will always come up and meet us at the point of our need. No matter what that need is, if it's a physical need or financial need or emotional need or spirit, God will meet you. If you live your life submitted to God's best plan, he will supernaturally accommodate you. And it's a wonderful life. It's an exciting life. It's an adventuresome life. And, and over time, we could get stories all over this room today about God's provision in your life, God meeting your need just at the right time in the right way in the right amount. When it didn't seem possible, God came through for you. And that's the nature of living for God. It's a wonderful thing. And I encourage you in that. I, uh, I just want to remind you that you don't give in order to somehow make some deal with God or or to get something in return. It's just, a, it's about giving your life, your heart, your affections. It's all about that. God has given us everything. And when we withhold and we're reluctant and we clutch to the things that God gives us, it sets us back. It doesn't allow us to be free. Well, it kind of reminds me of a story of a, of a father who took his son into McDonald's to get a Happy Meal. Have any, any of you heard, about, heard this story? I'm wondering. McDonald's, father, some of you have heard it. We did a video about it a few years ago. I want you to see it. Check it out. Once upon a time, there was a father and a son who went to McDonald's, sharing some special father-son time together. They sat down and the son ordered his favorite meal, a Happy Meal. And the father ordered a sandwich. What a great day, enjoying some great time together just the two of them. Naturally, the father finished his meal first, and the father just wanted a couple of fries from his son, so he reached out to grab one. And that's when the son slammed his hands down and said, My fries! This made the father sad. Today was such a good day. Then the father thought to himself, Why won't he share the fries with me? And then the father began to think, you know what? I'm stronger than him. I could just take the fries, and the whole meal for that matter. If the father so desired, he could buy more fries than the boy could eat. So, son, you want some fries? I'll just keep the fries coming. I will bury you in fries. Then the father spoke to his son and said, those fries are actually my fries. I paid for those fries. And that shirt you're wearing, it's mine, but I want you to have it. And those shoes you're wearing belongs to me too, but I don't want you to go barefoot. I give you all these things just because I love you. And I know that as you share those things with me, that you're saying that you love me too. Any questions? <laughs> Three quick points, then a quick. Number one, you want to fill this in on your outline. Number one, when Christians give, good gets done. Good gets done. 
You know, from time to time, I'll hear someone cynically say, you know, you Christians, you're all alike. You're nothing but a bunch of do-gooders. Well, you know, I couldn't think of a nicer thing to say. Yeah, isn't it true that, that, that the world is so cynical, so quick to be suspicious, to doubt our intentions? Isn't that right? But here's what the Bible says. Jesus went about doing good. He went about doing good. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. You know, there are organizations now in our world that, that fuss over the whole Christian presence in our culture and, and work hard to, to, uh, to eliminate any possible symbolism or influence of the Christian message so that, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments displayed or, or nativity scenes or whatever that, prayers here in public places and the strict separation of church and state. Listen, for those of you within the sound of my voice who think that's, that's all a good idea to have that kind of strictness, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you drove by St. Atheist Hospital? Or a library? Where do you think, where do you think those who have written the laws of this culture, this nation, came up with a moral foundation for those laws? We're a nation under the rule of law. Where do you think the foundation, the fiber of that, of that came from? Let me just remind you something. The, the impulse, the instinct for education and health care and, and social service and the careful meeting of the needs of people and to elevate them to their highest potential, to, to, to honor human beings and ennoble their lives. That, the impulse to help people and care for people and, and elevate people, that is a Christian impulse. That comes directly from the Holy Spirit. The, the, the moral foundations of our culture come directly from a Judeo-Christian ethic. Connect the dots. Make the connection. It'll, it'll help you with your worldview. Things don't just happen out of nothing, out of some relative consideration. There are foundation points. There are touchstones that God has given us, and we should be thankful for them. Giving is something like that because... We know that when Christians give, good gets done. Good gets done. It gets done. Buildings are built. Programs are established. Relief is offered to the oppressed. Children are fed. Orphanages are built. Pregnancy care centers are established. People are trained to preach the gospel. Cultures are penetrated. God is honored. When Christians give, good gets done. Is this complicated? Pretty straightforward, isn't it? When, when Christians are generous, good things get done. God-honoring things get done in the world. And for some of us, it's as simple as that. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, 6, I'll show you this verse on the screen, in talking about this offering that he's going to receive when he gets to the church at Corinth, he said, look, to bring also to completion this act of grace. What act of grace? Receiving the offering. So Paul, Paul reminds us that giving is an act of grace. It's a means that we, that we exercise in this life in order to make God known and the gospel preached. It's great. 
Here's a second thought. When Christians give, not only does good get done, done, but God gets glory. God gets glory. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9.13 that there's one thing in the Christian worship that the world can't really comprehend or understand. Now, the world knows how to worship. I mean, we'll watch the Super Bowl next week. We'll watch people worshiping. You go to a music concert or a political rally, you can see people worship. People understand worship. They, you, they, they manifest it all the time. They just don't always worship our God. And the world understands good deeds. They just can't understand this giving thing, especially this tithing thing. I mean, the, the world gets giving, but they don't get this tithing. I mean, the ushers come forward, start passing, in Union Chapel, start passing these glorified KFC containers around. And sometimes you see tight-fisted, steely-eyed, cold-hearted people sit there and watch you put your hard-earned money in that bucket, and they think, that is crazy. What is the matter with those people? How could they give so much in such a context? But 2 Corinthians 9.13 says, Men will praise God when you're generous. Then the man realizes these people are putting their money where their mouth is. If you say, look, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you never do anything about it, they're going to say, so what? But they say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and this is how God uses me to bless people in Jesus' name. Then that gets people's attention. My prayer for us is that when a man or a woman in our community thinks of Union Chapel, they'll not think first about an adequate preacher or a dedicated staff or nice facilities or significant programs or marvelous people. They won't think first about that, but that we are generous and compassionate and open-hearted and open-handed and loving and gracious and caring about the real needs of real people. That's what I want. That's what, us, that's what we should be known for it because someone attending one of our services one of these days may be on the way home in their car and ask the question with regard to the offering why are they so generous why do they do that and someone else in the car may actually say it could be because the God they serve is real to them and they'll give God glory for it I had a good friend of mine who was a traveling preacher evangelist and he had a neighbor who was an alcoholic, and he had a, had a little son. He was about 10 years old at the time. And this little guy was in a rough, rough environment. So my friend invited this 10-year-old kid to go with him on one of his preaching assignments. It was close enough to his home, and he was driving to this other church to, to preach each night. And so he took his little guy with him, and they went all through the week. And by the end of the week, the little guy really enjoyed the time with my friend, you know, just to have some strong an effective male influence in his life. And at the end of the week, the last night, he said to my friend, he said, you know, I really don't want to go tonight. He said, well, why not? He said, well, there's a part of the service that, that, I, that I just don't like. And he said, well, what part of the service is that? He said, well, it's the offering. And my friend realized that this little guy didn't have anything to put in the offering, and it made him feel uncomfortable. And so he said, if you'll come with me this last night, I'll give you some money to put in the offering. And he said, well, okay, I'll go. And so he got in the car and he gave this little guy a $10 bill. And they went to the service and this little guy's sitting on the second pew and he said he watched him through the service. And this little guy folded up that $10 bill and he was so excited and his eyes were dancing and he folded it one time and then folded it another way and he put it in his shirt pocket. And then a few minutes later he pulled it up, put it in his pants pocket and, and then he said he unfolded it and put it up and shined the light through it and... And, you know, and then he, then he put it and shined it up on the pew in front of him, you know, like that. And he said, then the, the, path, the host pastor got up 
at that right moment, and he said, all right, everyone, it's time for the offering. He said, when he said that, that little guy sat forward in his seat, and he went, yeah, just like that. Now, that's it, isn't it? Isn't that it? I mean, that's it. You know, I want to spend the rest of my life with that kind of giving grace. I do. That kind of joy, that kind of excitement, that kind of cheer. I met a new friend uh, recently. His name is Ben Abubakar. He is uh, the Kumasi Diocese, the United Methodist Church. Uh, he is the bishop there in Kumasi, Ghana, West Africa. And Ben, that, that, that's his nickname. We can't pronounce his first name, so we call him Ben. <laughs> bishop Ben. And Ben showed us a video of one of his services back in West Africa, Ghana. And he said, the part I want you to see is the offering. And there were a couple of thousand people in this meeting, and they, he announced the offering. And he said, the music started, the band started playing, and people started dancing. And then they came to the center aisle with their offering, and they danced to the front. And I mean, it was dancing and singing and worshiping. And they had a big container at the front, and people were putting their offerings in this, and they were dancing back to their seat. I mean, it was all-out revival during the offering. So impressive. And then you think, well, that's all settled down now. They did it once. And then the band started up again. And, and Bishop, Bishop Ben got up and he just went like this to the people. He didn't even say a word. And everyone said, yeah, let's do it again. And so they did it twice. <laughs> Favorite part of the service. So from now on, that's how we're going to receive our offering here <laughs> at Union Chapel. <laughs> What do you suppose that does to the heart of God? I would say it encourages God. You know, some contrasted by some cold, stale, dull, emotionless service. Could we get some ushers to come forward so we can get this dirty business of the offering over with? And some guy takes out his wallet, you know, grabs two ones, grumbling under his breath, going through a moral crisis. Think God takes any delight in that? Can you imagine God just saying, can't someone just give with joyful gratitude? God doesn't want your money, he wants your life. You know, in the first uh, service in this series, I asked this question, what if Jesus collected the offering here at Union Chapel physically, I mean, handed you, handed you the offering container with his nail-scarred hand? Would that affect your sense of stewardship? When you think about it that way, you know, really it's not about giving an offering, is it? If Jesus is the one actually collecting it's really not giving an offering. It's really giving yourself. It isn't about stuff. It's not about money. It's about me. It's about my heart, my affection. And you, you, you want to look at Jesus when you offer something. You say, you know, not only do you have, you have my stuff, you, you have me. You have my heart. Yeah. When Christians give Good gets done and God gets glory. And here's the last thought, and that is that we get free. When Christians give, they get free. Paul acknowledges their desire to give, their will to give. Now he says, now give. I'm coming. You don't want to be embarrassed by the Macedonians. <laughs> so get ready and give. What is it that God wants from us? What is it that I want for you? Blessing, contentment, happiness, holiness, prosperity, abundance, peace, satisfying relationships, families, careers, and enriched spiritual life, fruitful ministries, 
He wants you to be free. Listen, I don't want you to be bound, all tied up, all restricted, clutched onto by the stuff of this world, your motives confused, worldliness clutching at your throat. Listen, I heard the story of a couple who tried to have children and were unable to have children for the first 13 years of their marriage. And then in year 13, think of this, God gave them the grace and they conceived. And they were so, so thrilled. And, in, and right after their first child was born, a second child was born. And you can imagine waiting after 13 years, these two children were the most prized blessing of their lives. They were so, so in love with these children, cherished them. And at the same time they were loving these new gifts from God, they sensed a call of God to go to the mission field, to the continent of Africa. And a pastor friend of mine who knew these folks said that they hesitated to go to Africa, and their rationale was, look, our babies are still young, and if we go to Africa, it's not going to be an easy place to live. It could be dangerous. They could get hurt. They could become ill. They could die. And so they hesitated to go to the mission field. Yeah, I mean, you can understand that, right? And their pastor who is wise beyond wise, sat down and talked to them. And he said to them, and this is the quote, before God, don't let your blessings become curses. Now just let, let that soak just for a minute. Don't your, let your blessings become curses. Anything God gives to you, he can be trusted with. Anybody God entrusts to you, entrust them back to him. Are you following this? See, any, anything I clutch to my breast and cry, mine, has the capacity to rule my life. Whatever I clutch onto actually clutches onto me. But here's what God says, no matter what I give you, even the most choice blessing, like children, whatever I give you, you must hold with open hands, entrusted to me. Is that challenging to anybody? Whatever has a hold of you and keeps you from being everything God wants you to be in full relationship with him, whatever it is, whomever it is, would you open your hands and offer them back to God? Trust him with it. Doesn't mean your children are going to die. Doesn't mean that at all. Just means you're free. You're not enslaved by things that are actually meant to be a blessing. This happens with people and their material wealth. Because it gets a hold of them, they won't let it go. They won't let it go. And God says, don't, don't let the blessing become a curse. And that's what happens. Only when you open your heart and open your hands can you be free. See, God loves cheerful giving, joyful giving, open-hearted giving. That's where the liberty is. That's where the flow is. When I told you those little stories earlier about meeting people's needs, that was encouraging, wasn't it? Well, listen, someone had to open their hands to help. And that's what God wants for all of us, to be filled with joy in this work. Take out this uh, blue card, if you will. We do this uh, every year at this time, and it's all voluntary. No one should feel any obligation to do any of this. 
course, when I say that, people always do it. I don't know why I'm trying. But, but here's, a, here's, a, here's a little card. And at the top of this card, it just highlights the last four messages of this We Give series. So just a, a reminder and some encouragement there to build your faith. Then at the bottom, you can see three different places where you can check off. Again, this isn't, you don't have to, this is not compulsory. You just do this if you want to. It's voluntary. I hope you will. There are three places. Number one is I'll continue to tithe. Many of you in the church are tithers, and this is your pattern. This is your discipline. This is your lifestyle. This is your expression of gratitude to God. And so that's your practice. You just check. I'll continue. Some of you maybe are in a place where you're ready to take that step, and you're going to become a tither. That's a 10% thing. And you'll just check that. I'm going to start doing that. And here's the third option, and that is I'll increase my giving with a view toward tithing. Increase my giving with a view toward tithing. I, I, I want to get to that level, but right now my circumstances, my, my own attitudes, whatever it is, my own capacity, I can't do that right now, but that's what I want to do someday. That's, that's my goal. Can I give you three P words? One, one P word is, is um, uh, priority. Make giving a priority. Here's how it works for Beth and me in our, in, in our lives. We give to God first. First fruits, first things, first place. God is first. So priority giving. So we give first, we save second, we live on the rest. We give first, we save second, we live on the rest. It's a, it's a simple little formula. Give first. Make it a priority in your life. Then the second P word is percentage. And what I've learned is if you'll give consistently on a percentage basis, it will not only build your, your faith and your personal disciplines, but it will also help you give more over a period of time when you're consistent. So if, if you're giving, for example, uh, 2% of your income, then give 2%. If you choose 4% of your income, then, then choose 4% and give it consistently over the course of the year. Just maintain that level over, over time. Do it the whole year long on a percentage basis. Then the third P word is progressive. If you gave 3% last year, then kick it, up a, kick, kick it up a percentage to 4%. And then give that consistently. Make it a priority, choose a percentage, and then allow it to progress over time. And that's what this last option is. I'll increase my giving with a view toward tithing. If you'll, if you'll engage those disciplines, you'll discover that good will get done and God will get glory and you will get free and it's a really good thing. So just tear this off as we sing our closing song. The ushers will come by and collect this just like they did the offering earlier. Be sure and check one of those and give us your name. I'll send you a letter just to encourage you with, with your decision here today. And I know God will bless us. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this uh, wonderful passage of Scripture where we hear the apostle encouraging us. And so, Lord, put it in our heart. It's our will to do it. It's our desire to do it. So God, now give us the capacity to do it and to be faithful because we do want you to receive glory and for good to get done and for us to be free. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.